Amen. Matthew chapter 25 is where we are. And we are at the point of verse number 31. <clears throat> so the parable is over um, um, that we saw last week. The parable is over. The talents have been taken away from the one that buried it. So does everybody have the notes? They were back there as you walked in. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Hey, can can Vicky, George, can you get Vicky the notes? They're right there on the... Any, everybody but Vicky is what George said. Okay. <clears throat> so, and I'll mention one other thing. The proposed church budget is on the table outside. Um, you can pick that up. Um, Lord willing, in two weeks during this hour, we'll do our, our semi-annual business meeting. We have one in July that kind of reports to the church um, on what, what the first six months have been like um, financially. Anybody else? George has got them. Anybody else? I think we got it, George. Thanks. <clears throat> um, and um, so we've had um, a couple of nominations for deacons, uh, John and um, Ron. And so if there is somebody else other than those that you would like to nominate, please see me or one of the other deacons. Um, but um, about that. So anyway, we'll vote on that. The, the new deacons, uh, Steve, is done with his five-year term, and he'll be rotating off. We really appreciate him being the chairman of the board and doing so much work um, as a deacon. <coughs> him and Heather both <clears throat> are with the music and, and him with leading our deacons. So we appreciate that. Um, but anyway, that'll be in two weeks. So, but you can get the budget that's been proposed. All the deacons have approved that budget and um, you can look that over. It's pretty much very similar to our budget this year. We will be We'll also report, have year-end report in that meeting on where we are financially and what the Lord has done for us. Um, we, we will be a little over budget in income and probably a little under budget in spending. That's, that's always a good thing. <clears throat> um, and that's one reason we could finish off a of school. I got, I got word back from Sada in South Sudan and the extra money that we were able to give her will finish off the school. There've been some inflation on the school but it's also going to allow them building desks. There is just like pennies. Uh, they don't shop at Ikea. So their desks are a lot cheaper. <clears throat> and um, they're going to, she said, we'll be able to build several double desks. So old fashioned kind of two kids at however they sit there. So the extra money will give uh, children desks as well. So that they'll last for a long time. So I always say when we do these kind of building projects, you know, we're investing in eternity. I read an article this week <clears throat> that said the the growth in Christianity is not among people that are white. White humans largely have said, no God for me. <clears throat> if you go to Spurgeon's church today, and I was there in 2017. Um, the pastor took that church 35 years ago when they had about 20 white people. And he himself is Caucasian, <clears throat> really great preacher. That church of over a thousand is almost entirely not Caucasian. It's Indian, it's Pakistani, it's Bangladesh, it's African. Almost everybody that sat around us was not white. <clears throat> And if you go to London today, the 20 largest evangelical churches are primarily not white churches. 
So um, it's interesting, the church plants in New York City. New York City, prominently the, the larger churches in New York City, which aren't large by other standards, but the larger even are not white churches. Um, largely, largely African churches. And not African-American. I'm talking about first-generation African and first-generation and second-generation Hispanic. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, God, God's church doesn't know ethnicity. Isn't that wonderful? From every kindred and tongue and nation, that's who's going to be around the throne. So I say all that to say that when we do some of these building projects with churches or schools, we're thinking strategically and we're thinking long-term to what, what that's going to look like. <clears throat> the greatest persecution of Christians and murdering of Christians today is going on in Nigeria, right? I mean, Nigeria is booming in Christianity and the Muslims are killing the Christians as fast as they can. Over Christmas Day, did you see the massacre of Christians in churches on Christmas Day? That was in Nigeria. <clears throat> so Northern Africa was colonized, right? It was colonized by Muslims. When we talk about colonizers, it was colonized in the 8th, 9th, 10th century. Southern, Southern Africa is, was largely animist, meaning uh, pagan worship, and Christianity has been introduced to it. And, <clears throat> and it's interesting, a quote I was reading yesterday in an article that's, that said from a secular sociologist, who had lived in Africa, not South Africa, but south of the Sahara, so Nigeria South, which is not Muslim, and said the greatest need for Africa is Christianity. He said because it's Christian, and he's an atheist. He says Christianity in a sociology gives a sense of worth and purpose and work. And he said the the pay the he didn't use the word pagan we would use that but the religions the animist nature worship religions are they're so afraid of spirits and they have so many superstitions that they don't they don't actually work very hard they're they're afraid they're afraid of everything <clears throat> and he said the nations that are adopting Christianity um, are are excelling and Africa is an extremely rich continent with with all kind of oil and diamonds and rubber and all kind of natural wealth. So I just thought, I thought the article was very fascinating coming from a secular sociologist who's an atheist, but had lived in Africa for 20 years. And he said, Christianity is the great, best thing for Africa. <clears throat> and, yeah, go ahead, Gene. So what'd you say? Yes. The war in Myanmar? Yep. <clears throat> yep. Horrible, horrible persecution. Hundreds, even thousands of Christians are being murdered by the Myanmar government. <clears throat> and, and you won't hear a word about it in the media. Not a word. Because it's Christians. <clears throat> okay. Matthew chapter 25. So the talents, the parable of the talents are done. And, and let me read you my introduction to this next text because we have been building for almost a year. And I'm going to reference you back to Joel. I'm going to reference you back to Zechariah. All these books that we studied, 
you're going to now see, oh, those prophecies are what Jesus is talking about that's still future to us. <clears throat> Remember, the Jews asked the question. The disciples led this off by saying, basically, if, you're, if one stone isn't going to be left on another in this incredible 50-year build of a temple, then what will be the sign of your coming? They weren't thinking rapture. They weren't thinking a church age. <laughs> they were thinking all these prophecies of the Old Testament. They didn't even understand the crucified, the suffering servant. They didn't understand Isaiah 53. That's going to happen in what, a couple more days, right? Another day or so. <clears throat> I mean, he's, this is Passion Week. He's right before his crucifixion. So they don't, they're asking about, okay, if it's not this temple, and this isn't the sign of your coming, then when will that, when will you come? <clears throat> so you have to understand his question, don't put on our glasses, put on their glasses. Because he's answering their question, not our questions. Our questions will get answered in Thessalonians, in Corinthians. Our questions are in Revelation. Our questions are going to get answered. <clears throat> but this is a Jewish question. And remember the 69th week of Daniel, if I'm right, 69th week of Daniel has finished a day or two before on Palm Sunday. So they don't, they don't get that timeline either yet. They will eventually. Okay, so let me, let me read you my introduction in my notes. This is the primary text on the judgment of nations. This judgment is not mentioned in any other gospel. Let, let that sink in. They're synoptic gospels, right? Remember I did that whole thing on John when I said John is the only not synoptic gospel? Does anybody, oh, don't hurt my feelings by not remembering, but okay, I'll throw it out there. Does anybody remember what synoptic means? Yay! Oh, I feel so good. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, to see together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke see together. S-Y-N together. And optic to see, right? We get our word to see from optic. <clears throat> so they see together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of the same. John, on the other hand, is written 25 years later after they're done writing, 30 years later after they're done writing. And he, he wow, we get so many. I mean, Peter's restoration in John 21. That's not in any of the other gospels. We, we don't get Nicodemus in any other. We don't get woman at the well. We don't, and it, you, the list just goes on and on and on of all this stuff that John adds to the body of the synoptic gospels before he dies. <clears throat> What's interesting is this long passage of the Olivet Discourse isn't found in the other two synoptic gospels. It's only in Matthew. So when you come to uniquenesses like that, the first question on your mind should be why. And I think the answer for why is, remember Matthew is presenting Christ as king. He is king of the who? Jews. <clears throat> who, who, who are going to be the witnesses during the tribulation period? Jews. We'll see that when we get to Revelation, but it's in Revelation. <clears throat> so this is, it's a natural place for the judgment of the nations. This is not the great white throne judgment. I'm going to say that in a second. So let me get back to my notes. Um, most likely because Matthew is presenting Jesus as king, king's judge, not servants, as Mark's theme and presentation of Christ. Servants don't judge. Kings do. 
Luke presents Jesus as fully human, fully God, but it's the son of man. Well, they don't judge either. And he's writing to the Greeks because Luke is the only non-Jewish author of all of scripture in any scripture text. He's writing to the Greeks. Matthew places much more emphasis on Christ's second coming. Remember, the second coming is not the rapture. This is not the great white throne judgment. <clears throat> my, my amillennialist friends will try to conflate Revelation 20, 11 to 15 and this judgment as the same time. They are two different judgments. All you, what I would say, because they don't believe there's a literal millennium, so that, <clears throat> then there's not going to be a judgment. So therefore, there's no rapture. There's no tribulation. There's none of that. <clears throat> so this judgment and the great white throne judgment are the same, except when you look at the judgments, they're not. They're not. There, there are too many dissimilarities for these to be the same judgments. This is the judgment found in multiple different Old Testament passages that I've referred to over the past year. This judgment takes place at the second coming after the battle of Armageddon and before the millennium. This is when Christ steps on the Mount of Olives and the mountain splits in half. We saw that in Zechariah 14. The judgment takes place in the valley of Jehoshaphat. We saw that in Joel 3. <clears throat> Remember Matthew's theme is Christ is king. Matthew places much more emphasis on Christ doing kingly activity. The judgment, and I, I spelled it with the, the United Kingdom way of spelling judgment, ah, not the American way. We, we fought a war to get rid of those E's in judgment. And <clears throat> I had T yesterday and I put an E in judgment. My goodness. I, I, anyway, the judgment of the nations is not found. What's interesting is your spell check lets you put the E in or not the E in. <clears throat> Um, the judgment of the nations is not found in the other Gospels as they are not devoted to the Jews or the king of the Jews. Okay, does that all make sense? Are, we, are you tracking with me? Okay, <clears throat> let's get into the text. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all, his, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. We're going to get into this, but this is Joel, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Remember, I've told you we're not really sure where the Valley of Jehoshaphat is. That's a debate. I lean to the understanding that the Valley of Jehoshaphat will be a future created valley when Christ stands on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives goes pushes east to north and there's a valley that's formed. I could be wrong about that. It could be a different valley, but modern Jews... Um, even the Messianic Jews or the believing Jews do not know what they, there are different ideas about which valley around Jerusalem, the valley of Jehoshaphat is <clears throat> because nobody, nobody really knows. Um, so he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the nations. The word there is ethnic. <clears throat> ethnos. Ethnos is the Greek word for peoples or nations. Ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it. So it generally refers to the Gentiles. Okay? So there are three views about who's going to be here that are all good people with good views. So I'm going to tell you the different views as I teach through this today. <clears throat> Over the next 10 minutes, we'll pick it up next week. Okay? So in my notes, after the battle of Armageddon, Christ will gather all nations, ethnos, ethnicities. 
Many Gentiles, Revelation 11.26, and Jews, Romans 11.26. So very quickly, let's turn because I want, I want you to see Revelation 11.26. If you're able to go there very quickly, keep your finger here because we'll be back in Matthew. Revelation um, 11.26. Yes, 11.26. Yep, yep. So Revelation 11.26. Nope, that's not what I wanted. Ah, I fat-fingered that. <clears throat> Let's go to Roman. Oh, you know why? Because I said Romans 26. I will look that up and give you the right text next week. Um, I, I fat-fingered the... Romans 11.26 passage. So Romans 11.26 says, um, um, And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. <clears throat> so this is what I've told you before, the fulfillment. My amillennialist friends will say the church has replaced Israel and so what it really means is that everybody and the elect, all the people that are supposed to be saved will be saved. Which to me makes no sense as to why Paul would write three chapters on basically what about Israel, which is chapters 9, 10, and 11. And what Paul says is, and all the deliverer will come out of Zion and all Israel will be saved. <clears throat> Nobody was thinking the church. Paul's a Jew. All Israel will be saved. So my understanding is it's at this judgment going into the millennium when all Israel will be saved. All Israel will look on him who they've pierced. All the Jews will look on him who they've pierced, which is, which is prophesied <coughs> in um, um, Zechariah 14. We've seen that. So many Gentiles and Jews will have been brought to Christ during the tribulation. I wonder if Revelation... If I'm not thinking, if, if I meant to put the two witnesses. Yeah, I bet you it did. <clears throat> so, Revelation 7. <clears throat> so, Revelation 7 is the, the 144,000. After these things, I, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried in a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. <clears throat> and it gives those tribes. Then in verse 9, And I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, that's ethnos, Tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders answered, saying, Who are these to me? Who are these arrayed in white robes? And I said to him, sir, you know, and, and so he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. <clears throat> in other words, they got saved during the tribulation from the 144,000 Jews. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. 
They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of them will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In other words, this, this group of Gentiles has been murdered. They are, they are converts, 144,000. So <clears throat> I've had fingered the 1126 when I was writing, thinking about Romans 1126, and I was looking at Revelation 7. So there will be many Gentiles saved and martyred, and it goes to expect that there will be many Gentiles saved who aren't martyred. That was my point in, in getting us to this place. Some will deny, I'm back in my notes. If you want to go back to Matthew 25, that's what we'll be here in a second. <clears throat> Matthew 25, some will deny, I'm back in my notes, some will deny that this judgment takes place and deny that there is any millennium or a literal and physical reign of Christ on the earth. They will try to claim that this is all a new idea. <clears throat> it is not. In other words, this is a new theological position since Darby. This is not true. Early church pastors like Papias, Justin, Tertullian, and Hippolytus all believed in a literal reign of Christ. It was only later, after the 3rd century, when a more allegorical interpretation took over from a literal grammatical interpretation, and Christianity became the official religion of Rome, did replacement theology become normal with the church, replacing any future Israel kingdom, and they replaced it with the church. <clears throat> That's why you have infant sprinkling, because you have to have a sign of a covenant. If the church has replaced Israel, then they did circumcision, so we have to have infant sprinkling because there's no more future for Israel because they no longer have those promises. They blew it. We're going to talk about it in a little while. Next week I'll get into it out of a book that was written in the 50s titled The, the Triumph of the Crucified, and I'm going to give you his five reasons why I believe in a literal millennium. And it really goes to, how do we treat the Jews today? <clears throat> how do we treat the Jews today? Um, I've watched some of my friends leave dispensational theology, and one is posting, we grew up together. He went, he went to Bob Jones, went to Calvary, went to Dallas, all <clears throat> have strong dispensational tendencies. He's left all that and become an amillennialist, and he is now calling for the elimination of the Jewish state. We grew up at high school together. We went to the same Baptist church together. <clears throat> he is calling the Jews Nazis and guilty of genocide, and, and, and it all started about 30 years ago, 25 years ago, when he told me that infant sprinkling was allowable and even preferable. And he replaced Israel with the church. And I can, I can watch my friend's life to now going to anti-Semitism genocide against Jews. <clears throat> so you have to understand that this shift came when we moved away from a literal interpretation in the first and second century. The church then becomes the state church. So you have to explain how, how do we... How do we understand a state church? The first three centuries didn't have a state church. We were all persecuted and thrown to lions and burned to the stake and had our heads chopped off, right? Okay, <clears throat> so back in Matthew 25, it says, um, he will separate them one from another. I'm in verse 32. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, 
and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. <clears throat> this text has been used by liberals. To, this is how you get saved. You go to the prisons. And there's nothing wrong with going to prisons. Please don't get me wrong. That's great. <clears throat> you fed you fed people that were hungry. There's nothing wrong with feeding the hungry. That's a great thing to do. But they 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 say, oh, see. It's a social justice salvation. And this text is used often as a social justice salvation. It's taken out of context. This is a context of complete persecution against believers by the Antichrist. There's, you can't buy or sell anything. Isn't it interesting that now we're looking at chips and hands and chips on... You can just wipe your hand over it, not using a credit card anymore. Digital currency... Um, you have a, you have a social credit score in China, so that you can't travel if you're not doing the right socially accepted things in China. You can't go to university if you're not doing the socially accepted things in China. A social credit score. Can, can you imagine with technology that we have today? I got in my car the other day, <clears throat> and I hear this beep 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 beep. beep, beep. And I said, so my wife has bought this because my mother-in-law, bless her heart, got lost and she was driving around for three hours a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> What's that? <clears throat> and it is. I wrote her and I said, so then I get a message. I'm like, it's a little, it shows a map of where my car went. I get it, I get an email, it shows my map of where I went, which I went shopping. I went to the grocery store. Really, I know, horrible me. I went to the grocery store and I came back and uh, got my car washed. And I, I texted my wife, I said, You put a tracking device on our car, didn't you? <laughs> and she said, Yeah, I did. I put one on my mom's car and one on our car in case, you know, we get lost or it gets stolen. I get it, yeah. <clears throat> it's not hard for us to understand that no one will be able to buy and sell in the tribulation. When John wrote that, that was, that was crazy. It's very easy. Cashless society and digital currency and a digital social score. It is super, and, and everybody's tracked. Facial recognition. <clears throat> Why do you see all these people that are pillaging and Ad, and out on the streets and stopping traffic and all that, they all have masks on. Why? Because they're afraid of getting COVID out in the in the air? No. It's so nobody knows who they are. Back in my day, the Lone Ranger wore a mask and people always got upset at him because he wore a mask. Who are you behind the mask? The only bad guys wear masks. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> we, we've switched, haven't we? It, it is... All the prophecies that seem so technologically incredible in the first century are actually real today. They're actually real today. <clears throat> so <clears throat> let me go back. I'll, I'll just finish the next paragraph and I won't get to my ones through five. I'll start that next week. Um, different views from good people exist on who the sheep and the goats are. In other words, people that believe this is the judgment of the nations at the end of a literal tribulation before a literal millennium, there's at least three views on that, okay? So I'm going to give you my preference, but all of them are good people, and I think you can, 
you can hold any any one of the three. My understanding is this is a judgment of all living at the end of the tribulation. There will be believers and unbelievers from all nations and specifically the Gentiles. Okay? <clears throat> so I, I told you ahead of time what I, my belief is. Next week I'll go through the reasons why I believe there is a millennium. I'm, I'm copying them from the triumph of the crucified. Um, and, and then I will, I will share with you the other two belief systems, the other uh, views. <clears throat> One of them is that there are no Jews here. This is purely a judgment of the nations, <clears throat> that there are no Jews here. Anyway, I'll get to that next week. Um, you can read ahead if you want. We're going to skip back and look at Daniel next week. We're going to look at Joel next week. I'm going to remind you about some of, those, some of those things. But this is, I believe, a judgment at the end of the tribulation. So put it in your head. This is, this is Revelation 19. This is at the end of Revelation 19. So really quickly, <clears throat> I know I'm late. Really quickly, go to Revelation 19, and let's, let's see the last few verses of Revelation 19. I want you to drop it into a chronology, okay? <clears throat> um, verse 17. Well, let's start at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, this is Jesus, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is Revelation 19.11. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one ex knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Isn't it interesting that Jesus comes, first of all, in a robe that's a burial robe? He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling is what you buried people in. His first coming is, is to die. His second coming, his clothes are dripped in blood. He's coming to judge. And his name is called the Word of God. <clears throat> Who's the author of the book of Revelation? John. How does John start his gospel? In the beginning was the, and the, was with God and the, in the beginning was the, do you think, John has a familiarity with the word, word. And the armies in heaven, that's us. That's the church. Now, Matthew 25, it's the angels. So it's both the angels and the church <clears throat> are coming with him. White and clean, followed him on white horses. Why are we all white and clean? We've seen Christ. We were raptured. We're like him. We've gone through, we've gone through the judgment seat of Christ. We'll talk about that. When we get into the epistles, we'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ. And now the judgment seat of Christ is over. The marriage supper of the Lamb is over. And we're coming to set up the millennium. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. That's the millennium. <clears throat> now where is that? That's not heaven. He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. All millennialists will tell you, oh, that's the eternal state. He's ruling the nations, the ethnics, the Gentiles. And he himself will rule them. He, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. What happens when someone, have you ever seen an old-fashioned winepress? <clears throat> if you we went to Israel, we saw one, didn't we? What happens to the grapes? They're smushed. Three levels of smush. They smush, then they smush, and then they smush. That's how you get the good wine, the average wine, and the, the not-so-good wine. 
And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel stand in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat at the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, that's us. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all birds were filled with their flesh. And then the second coming happens. Jesus steps on the Mount of Olives, and he sets up for the, for the judgment of the nations. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure you had that on. I wanted you to get a picture of where Matthew 25 is happening. 